and welcome to your latest episode of Bet Bears Wade in podcast. It is bank holiday, apparently. I had absolutely no idea about that because, of course, if you work in horse racing, that's right, Kevin, hands up in the air. Who knows when it's a public holiday? I definitely do not. Um, over there in Ireland, we have the lads joining us, Kevin Blake and Brendan Duke, off the back of Punchestown, the marathon that was, and ahead of the Guineas. How has that crept up upon us? And, drumroll please, Guess where I'm off to this weekend, Kevin? One guess. One oh, guess where uh, I go this weekend. Newcastle. Uh, uh, go on, Brendan. <laughs> one guess where I go this weekend. Baden Baden. Uh, uh, Kentucky uh, Derby, guys. Oh, oh exciting. Uh, nice. <laughs> exciting. Don't, don't go in the infield, Vanessa. They might ask you to do things you're not comfortable with. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Any other pieces of good advice anyone has yeah. for me for the Kentucky Derby? Please. Uh, hold on. You're gonna have, I'm going to give you the best piece of advice you get all week. Kentucky we Derby. The Kentucky Derby. Derby. Oh, well, I we, am aware we, of that. We have, we have the Derby. They have the Derby. Derby. Okay. I am aware of that. And it, as you can tell by the first three minutes of this podcast, that hasn't quite sunk in yet. But by the time I get over there, it will have done. Trust me. Class. Are you wor- working or playing? Uh, doing a bit of work, yeah. Oh, I know. Jammy Dodger. That's jammy, that. jammy Dodger. <laughs> I was born with jam running through my veins. Right. On that note, Brendan, quick check in. How are you? Obviously not as good as me because I'm going to the Kentucky Derby, but how are you? Uh, you know, I had, I had a very nice weekend in, in Sheffield. I, I, I was out for the snooker, and I, but I was supposed to get home last night, and I had a technical issue. That meant I don't even know if I'm going to be able to get home today. I have to go to the airport after this oh. and see if they can some, somehow get me home. So I can't go to the Curra for what is a fascinating card today. Uh, oh. So, yes, uh, I mean, it, it, it's OK. I, I, I had a, a, a very nice weekend. Sheffield, Sheffield is a fun town. I met some nice people, so uh, we, we won't complain. Oh, I feel like you're a little bit like a pin in the balloon there, but we will cheer you up on this show, Brandon. Fear not. So much to get stuck into. Kev, how are you? Quick check in. You're off to the Curra today. Yeah, 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 can't wait. Great card. Lots going on. Um, weather's nice. Um, like you say, Guineas is nearly here. The sun is pretty much shining. The rain is pretty much stopped. The ground is starting to dry out. Fantastic time of year, Vanessa. Absolutely. Right. Uh, shall we kick straight on with a bit of a racing review? Now, obviously, Punchestown, just basically high on our agenda, but we would be here for hours and we don't want to be here for hours uh, if we were to go through all of just Willie Mullins's runners or the big, the sort of main races from every single day because obviously it's just a marathon so we're going to rattle through a few highlights um i suppose the first question kev is willie mullins with what was it 19 winners across the week in the end yeah was nine 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 of the 12 grade ones possibly something like that um, mental um did you find it yeah. boring do you find that boring um look we talk about it all season you long look it, he you can say it. It's, you know, if you're, if you're watching presentations, you'd find it a bit boring. But look, in terms of the action on the track, um, look, he is clearly by far the dominant trainer in the sport. Um, he does run them against each other. They all do their best. You can still learn from what you're seeing. Would you, in a perfect world, love to see different trainers' names beside the same horses? Um, of course you will. Um, but of course you would, I should say. But we are where we are. And look, Punchestown for me, um, generally... You, you don't for me you don't always learn loads um i would always the way i put it is i think when we come to next december january february i don't think a lot of us are going to be looking back on what we saw in the last week and using that as pertinent evidence going forward because um such is the nature of the season um you know we've we've got plenty of our answers by the time we get to Punchestown, and it's just about are the horses um well enough to confirm what they've shown you know at the other spring festivals so look there's always scope to learn um about these horses we did learn about plenty of them um yeah and look, looking forward to going through it despite my you know tone i've taken there no no i think you know i think a lot of people could agree with that and like you say it's not often that we really reflect and dive deep into the punches town for midway through the following season not really um brendan let's focus on a few of the highlights uh, mm. What were your personal highlights? What, what what was your standout performance of the week? Well, well, my personal highlight was probably I I, I just can't get enough John Kiley in my life. I mean, <laughs> uh, as we as we know, as we know, um, championship bumpers are an abomination; they shouldn't exist at all. But I'm giving them a pass <laughs> this year because 
I just love watching this guy give give, give an interview. I mean, he just sort of oozes knowledge and decency. It seems to come out of come out of his uh, every pore. And I find myself really paying attention to what he's saying. He has that Bancarian thing where he talks really slowly, so you're leaning yeah. in, so you don't miss anything he says. Now, of course, he trades for JP, so he's probably maxed out his interviews for the, the, the decade at this stage. He won't be allowed to say anything more, but I could I, I could listen to, to him forever. In, in terms of uh, highlights on the track, I suppose El Fabiolo um, just did another monster performance. He, he is a massive engineer. You could argue he didn't achieve any, any more than he did, did in Cheltenham, but again, he made a few mistakes, but again, he showed the, the scope he has and when the turbo kicks in, and I do think he'd get better with, uh, we were talking about this before Cheltenham. I had concerns about his jumping at Cheltenham, but he managed to get around. I just think he's such a big unit. He's just finding ways to, to adjust his feet at the fences, and he's, he's going to take some stop in next year. Uh, what a Gaelic warrior. Uh, very impressive up to uh, three miles. Uh, affordable Fury gives that form a, a solid look. Stairs hurdle appears to be a division right for the taking, so they'd, they'd be very excited about him. I don't know, maybe they want to go chase him, but I guess they'll stick with the stairs hurdle route. Well, impervious, she's some mare, isn't she? I, oh, I, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know Allegory de Vassi uh, has weirdly, because Willie's horses, with the way he trains them, all that slow work early in the season, they all seem to finish like a train, but but they, they can't, it can't all happen. Uh, but but impervious, she's so tough, she jumps so well, you think she'd get three miles standing on her head. I don't know, the, the mare's chase division so, uh, sort, of, sort of picks itself, and she 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 will probably dominate it, but I'd be half tempted to throw her into something like a, a King George or the three mile race at Leopardstown that I always called Alexis. I'm sure it's probably called something different now, but uh, she she's just a little delight that mare to watch. Um, well, she is she's of those ones that you've mentioned. So impervious now six to four for the mare's chase from two to one. Yeah. Dino Blue is a small mover in that at twenties now from thirty threes. But as you say, I'd love to see impervious up against the boys. Um, I mean, look, I'm I'm all for the mare's chase, but she seems the standout at the moment. It'd be great to see her up against the boys in a King George or something like that. As for a dream to share, trained by of course the class. That is John Kiley. Um, he's now seven to two from five to one for the Supreme and seven to one for the Ballymore, if that interests anyone. But I mean, you can imagine him being a Supreme horse all over. And as for the likes of who else did you mention in there? Gaelic Warriors now eight to one for the Stairs Hurdle from 20. So big move on him once he proved that he could stay. Um, Kev, over to you for a couple of highlights. Uh, I mean, those are some obvious ones, but Impervious was my standout of the week, really, just away from, I mean, the absolute obvious and the likes of El Fabiolo, etc., etc. Yeah, look, Impervious was really good. Um, I, you know, she's beaten the boys already this season, and you'd love, like you say, you'd love to see her thrown into deep waters to see how good she is. But look, I don't like the mayor's chase, as you know, but. The weirdly um, impervious presence, assuming she does go for it, might actually help things because if she's in the mare's chase, you won't get a situation like this season where potentially really good novices like impervious and Allegory Devasse tried her hand in the mare's chase um, mm. against the likes of her. I think she might clear out the race, <laughs> which, <laughs> you know, with, with, you know, she'll be fives on, etc. And, and you know, we'll all moan, but at least it will keep some of the nice novices in the novice races where they should be. Um, or you know, so she you, you'd have to really like her. Um, a dream to share at Echo Brendan, uh, like John Kiley. You just when John Kiley speaks, you know, as it's you, you just feel that his whatever it is 85 or 86 years of wisdom is distilled down into what he's telling you, <laughs> you know, at, at any one moment. He just everything is just very considered. Um, and I, he is a joy to listen to. Um, uh, smashing horse, we would love to see him on the flat. To be brutally honest, just to see where he is, um, because he he gave, like that's that was ultimately what he was bred to do, and he's clearly a, a tip top bumper horse. Um, like I'd say, um, I've great regard for John Gleeson, and I give him more than enough compliments to to make up for yeah. it. But I'd say if, if he could ride it again, um, he would have waited a bit longer even. Um, he was probably he was you know shade of hindsight, he was following the right one. And um, he, he he probably could have sat for longer if if he dared, but it didn't matter. Horses was, was too good, won well, um, and yeah, you'd be excited about him. If if he was owned by someone else, I'd say he'd definitely go in the flat. But we know JP is a, is a jumps man through and through, so the prospect of him going over hurdles if his uh, schooling etc. goes goes well, 
um, would be super exciting. But um, yeah, any, we, anything we better, else you'd like to talk about? Well, we've managed to get to this point without talking about the Punchestown Gold Cup, which, yeah. you know, it was supposed to be one of the big highlights of the week. And of course, saw the rank outsider in fast or slow win and beat in the process, galloping to Champs, who got up for second and Brave Man's game. We looked all over the winner. It was the rematch we wanted. It was great to see them. But of course, the party was a bit spoiled by fast or slow. Um Brendan, are we just reading that the lads from the Gold Cup didn't, you know, just haven't been at 110% in this race? I mean, obviously, fast or slow was also a child mm-hmm. around a blinder. But is that our big takeaway or is that a level of form that we are interested in going into next season? Yes, and uh, we, we also haven't mentioned your take on the farmers race, which I actually thought was your favourite race of the week, but we, 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 we'll, we'll, hear, we'll hear that later. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, the Gold Cup is such a savage race. And it, it looked like galloping uh, won easy, but Brave Man's game put it up to him. And for all that Willie's horses normally uh, finish the season like a train, the Gold Cup is it is one of the toughest tests in horse racing, maybe the toughest. So I think he just uh, is slightly underperformed. Brave man's game, again, a joy to watch. Jump great. Harry thought if he'd wing the last, he might have held on. I, I don't agree with that, although he was only beating two and a half lengths. But we probably shouldn't underestimate fast or slow. It would be, be easy to say with his incredible record in uh, Cheltenham festivals and Punchestown festivals over the the last two, two years, he certainly deserved to get his, his head in front, but it was a real strong stay in performance. I mean, the jockey had to, he was probably after him before they were turning for home anyway, and he just he just kept finding, kept grinding, and, you know, he'd be, again, it'd be easy to say, oh, he's a spring horse, but there would be an element, Martin Brazen's a master trainer, and he was preparing him for handicaps, and indeed prepared him very well, albeit he was second in the three of them, but he clearly had a well-handicapped horse, and I think you might see a more adventurous campaign next year, because surely, surely handicaps are out of the question going forward, but chapeau to the Brazil, he, he truly is a master trainer. Yeah, yeah, I'd be keen to talk about that race because look, if, if it wasn't for fast or slow, we would have been hailing this as one, one of the great Punchestown Gold yeah. Cups. You know, the, fir- the first two in the Gold Cup, pull a mile clear of the Ryanair winner, you know, hammer and tongs battle, the gallop, and the show gets up in the last stride. Fabulous, you know, <laughs> but now do we have this, this pesky fast or slow uh, manages to beat them all at 20 to 1. And uh, look, I'd say. People will view this skeptically. They'll view it through the, the, those Punchestown um, glasses that we I kind of alluded to earlier in that um, end of season form, skepticism, etc. But um, I would give him credit for this, most certainly. Um, look, look, Brent, like don't judge him too harshly on his early season form. Like Brendan says, he was clearly being tricked along with a view to a handicap at the Cheltenham Festival. And uh, he was just really unfortunate to bump into one of, one of the, one of an almighty blot, um, mm-hmm. in fairness, in Cora Grambler, who, who only just nipped him by a neck. Um, <clears throat> and just bear in mind, he's completely unexposed over staying trips. You know, that was, that was his first go at three miles at Cheltenham. And he clearly ran an absolute belter. And the way he shaped here, you know, stamina clearly is his thing. So like, I, I would believe this. Um, I would okay. believe this, and I think I think this fella is a player going forward. As Brendan okay. says, he'll be, he'll be campaigned like a top-staying chaser next season. Um, and yeah, look, you have to be excited about him. Um, fair play nice. to connections. And, uh, oh. a, a great a great example of Vanessa that it's really really difficult to win a handicap at the Cheltenham Festival mm. two yeah. years in a row now. This yoke is absolutely thrown in. and manages to get nipped twice. <laughs> Isn't it just? I think that's what JJ said in one of his interviews afterwards. We should give a mention, Kev, to JJ. I know you know him well. Uh, no no nice man really on the in in the weighing room in terms of just a, a, a pleasant chap to deal with. It would seem. And he had one of those Cheltenhams where. I mean, did he come second twice? I think at Cheltenham yeah, two, on this two and photos, another, yeah. and yeah. two photos. He's looking for his first Cheltenham Festival winner, and then he comes to Punchestown. Oh, well, hold on, well, hold on. Now he had, he had had a Cheltenham Festival winner. Oh, sorry, sorry, mighty band of outlaws. Yeah, sorry, band of <laughs> outlaws. Sorry, sorry. No, of course he has. But the point is, is that he comes to Punchestown. He's riding so well, and he t- takes Punchestown Gold Cup. I mean, it's been a terrific end of the season for JJ. Yeah, and he had, a, he had an injury there mid-season as well that slowed him down, and he, he had a huge Punchestown. And look, it was a fantastic opportunity for him to get the gig um, for the Mulrines. And, you know, he would have come away from Cheltenham now, headbutting the wall. You know, didn't do anything wrong, but just to get nipped like that twice um, would, have, would have been frustrating. So uh, for it all to come around, as it often does in this great game, 
and um, for him to have a Pontius Town like that would, would have been really sweet for him. So you can imagine it, it's tricky enough for JJ because he's like really close, like, like the best of pals with Joseph and, you know, based in the yard, really, really close with him. And the number of jumping horses in the yard has clearly, you know, gone gone down massively. So um, it's it's put JJ in a tricky spot. So to get that to get that gig was massive, and for him to be delivering on the biggest stages for them is is, is brilliant for him. Good, good. Right, let's roll on. Um, bit of sand. Quick mention to Sandown because there'll be plenty of people telling me to pick this up with you, Kev. John Bon campaigned in a very un Nicky Henderson way, and he was willing to take the piss out of himself about it. See him in the celebration yeah. chase in against open company, goes and bolts up essentially despite making a mistake. And then Henderson is laughing at himself about this being a very un-Henderson thing to do. So where did the decision come from? He laughed about going to Sandown when asked about it at Aintree. He laughed. Yeah, no, fantastic. Fantastic. Fair play to him. Uh, everyone knows my thoughts, but uh, great to see an exception like this. And it's something that he has done before in terms of throwing a, a very good novice into this race. Um uh, and winning it um, def- uh, now coming from entries is a slightly different thing. Like the horse has been aggressively campaigned, um, you know, since Christmas. <laughs> you know, fantastic, great to see it. Um, you know, bit of a fright with the mistake he made. Um, but look, a, a high class performer. Um, one assumes he'll stay at two miles going forward. And I'm um, sure, look, it, it'll, it'll throw another one into the pot in that um, champion chase division. Which um, you know the likes of El, his, his old rival El Fabiolo with Nergamine, who we haven't mentioned yet, and others. It um, it, it looks like it's boiling up quite nicely. Well, in the champion chase, John Bon is now eight from tens. El Fabiolo is the six to four favorite from five to two after his monster performance at Punchestown, and Nergamine, the reigning champion, is three to one, the second favorite. So that is the champion chase look currently. Brendan, over to you for a mention for Kitty's Light, please. Obviously, being one of the stories of the back end of the season for Christian mm. Williams, everything that's going on with his family, the story that surrounds this horse, the way in which he goes about his races. He's won the Ida, he won the Scottish Grand National. And then he comes here and he wins the Bet365 Gold Cup on the final day of the jump season to really send everyone off on a bit of a high. Do you get wrapped into these sort of stories? Do you get sucked into the emotional side of things? Ah, well, I mean, when, when, when you're dealing with a sick child, I mean, you'd want to have... I do have a heart to stone, but not a, not, not a heart to granite. And, and his wife tweeted about how she's struggling to tie her shoelaces. I mean, you can imagine how unsettling that, that must be. For your life, but she said he's, he's he's been very chipper. He seems like a good egg, Christian. He's obviously well able to play the handicapping game. He's got a mm-hmm. he's got a magnificent he's got a magnificent head of hair. Uh, you, you couldn't get enough uh, looking at that. Um, <laughs> um, but now this is just something I've noticed in uh, the last couple of years as my magnificent head of hair has faded away. So, but uh, yeah, the, the the likes of him and Jason Weaver. There was a but there, there probably could be a, a top ten list of barnets in racing. Actually, maybe the listeners can, can get on to that. But back to Kitty's light. Sorry, that was some segue. Back, back to Kitty's light. Yeah, so the Eider chase was kind of uh, the outlier, wasn't it? Because the horse jumped so badly in the Eider chase, but it jumped really well in uh, the Scottish National. There were a couple of mistakes, but certainly a lot better than the Eider. I never missed a beat in Sandown. I mean, Sandown's a, a hard jumping track. Now, it's easy for me to say, and this is total after time, and I mean, I didn't have a, have a, have a bet in running, but... At no time in that race did I not think he was going to win. I mean, yeah, it just yeah. you, you, you know he's such a strong stayer. He was definitely well handicapped. Put up by the boy Blake, in fairness, uh, chapeau to him as well. But it must have been a, a serene experience for him watching that race because I, I can't remember him making one mistake in the race. And, uh, just it, it was The right was on the wall. Well, for me, all the way, but certainly turning for home because he's just a relentless stayer. Well, go on. Would you have any interest in Kitty's light in a Grand National at 40 to 1, which he currently is after the season he's had? Well, I would. I mean, the, the, the nature of the National this, at, at this stage with them going so hard on the first circuit, how many horses in, so you have a 40 runner national. Would you say 10 of them actually stay? I'd say that could be on the high side. I mean, <laughs> at least at least you could say, like, the first thing I would look at if I was having a bet in the Grand National is which horses do I think can stay? Because the, with, with the way the race is run now, you, I feel like you can actually take a lot of the field out 
and he, 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 he will definitely stay. I don't know if that's the route they're going to go down, but they'll surely be sorely tempted. It's a massive prize, uh, and he, he'll just have to get his, uh, his handicapping thinking cap on if he can fit it over his magnificent head of hair. That is, <laughs> <laughs> okay, it, right. It, it's, an, it's a really interesting question, actually, what, what you do, because like, I, I don't think the handicapper really can do anything with him for what we saw on Saturday, because he, he was officially six pounds well in, he didn't have a penalty, and you know, he won by two and a half lengths, so he's probably going to have to leave <laughs> him alone on, on one four six. Um, and that's that's an ideal rating for the Grand National, really. So, um, yeah, what do you do? You, you'd love to, you'd love to target him at it, but the biggest problem that Christian has it's about it's about 11 and a half months away, and he, he's got this, this smashing horse that, that he won't necessarily want to go up in the ratings or down as such. Um, in the meantime, so what do you do? Um, it, well, it's, a, it's a very interesting one, but he he is a clever customer now, so I'm sure he'll, yeah. he'll work it out. I was just about to say, if there's a man to find a way how to deal with this predicament, it is Christian Williams. We can rely on him and his head of hair. Uh, before we move on from all of this chat, get stuck into some meteor topics, because there has been plenty this week in the world of horse racing. <clears throat> Quick mention for Ted Walsh, guys. Um, obviously announced his retirement, a bit of a shock on RTE um, on Saturday. He was obviously quite emotional. He spoke so eloquently about hanging up his broadcasting hat for um, after an incredible career, I think it's fair to say. He's not always been everyone's cup of tea. It's been well documented that he can be controversial, but he has been at the forefront of Irish broadcasting for their horse racing coverage for over two decades, is it now? Four. Um, oh, sorry, four decades. Yeah, I think he's doing the job 40 years. Incredible. 40 years, of course. Yeah, 40 years. I mean, there's basically, you guys on this podcast mustn't know horse racing on RT without Ted Walsh, surely. Yeah, yeah, literally. Yeah, 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 literally. And yeah. Um, like, and Ted himself would, would absolutely hate the term, I'm sure. Like, But, it, but he is an, an icon of, of Irish <laughs> sports broadcasting. Like, he's, he's, one of the, he's outlasted them all. You know, he out he outlasted Dunphy and Brawley and you know Hook and all these you know Irish the punchy Irish broadcasters that could kind of say anything and you know get themselves and other people in trouble just just from, you know speaking their mind and speaking I suppose what what a lot of the people at home are, are thinking um you know that's that's a difficult space to be in 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 the modern media as we know cancel culture etc and um and Ted has had a couple of a couple of bumps on the road along the way too um but. You know, to do, I would have great admiration for anyone that does any job for that length of time and retains enthusiasm and, and rigor, etc. Because it's um, it's not it's not it's not easy. And look, Ted has just been a brilliant broadcaster. He's, he's been great for racing. And um, wouldn't be everyone's cup of tea, but he gets people gets people talking, gets reactions. And there's been some, you know, if you put together a highlight reel of his best moments over the years, now you 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 get some absolute crackers in there. So, um, you know, and you, 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 you see what it meant to him as well. Like he, he'd be, yeah. you know, uh, I'm not suggesting he'd made a stone now, but he'd been made of something similar to stone. Um, and it, uh, it, it was that tip, a little bit like Ruby kind of took everyone by, by surprise somewhat, did it his own way. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure, you know, we'll, we'll still be seeing plenty of Ted. Um, he's, uh, he, he, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't seem anything like his age. I think he's in his early seventies, Ted, um, doesn't seem anything like it. So. Um, I'm sure he'll he'll enjoy um, you know continuing to play a prominent role in the in more so in the background. Uh, the very best to look to him and congratulations on on one hell of a run and a career um, on camera. Absolutely, Brendan. W- will you miss him yourself? Is he someone that you relish seeing on the telly? Well, well, absolutely. I like to see people enjoying themselves and just basically doing and, and saying what they want because I'm very conscious. Uh, uh, you, you, you pair in the media game and it's all well and good to go, well, oh, go on and speak your mind or what have you. But as Kevin mentioned, um, George Hook, who, who, who was another half a national institution, a curmudgeon, the contrarian, if I, if I could say that. But he did get cancelled. Like, it's no joke. You, you could say mm. the, the, the wrong thing on one day. And that's the end. It's kind of a miracle that Ted Walsh lasted as long as he did and, and, and enjoying himself all the way. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good luck to him. Uh, credit to Irish sports broadcasting. And I feel like through no fault of their own, uh, those kind of 
really strong opinions that do get people talking are probably on the way out. And I, 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 I don't blame I don't blame the people who are just trying to keep their jobs for that, by the way. Can I just give you a, a very quick one that just came back to me there? This just sums up Ted and, and, and what, you know, the, 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 his capacity, you know, to speak his mind, regardless of it not being in the interest, you know, the, inter- the overall interests of, of, his, of his job and everything else. I remember they used to bring him over to Channel 4, you know, for their, for their Cheltenham coverage. And he'd come on in the mornings and on the morning line. And I remember one occasion, it wasn't a million years ago. Now, it might have only been 10 years ago or so. And uh, they, they, they brought on a feature on Channel 4 called The Psychic Pig, you know, in, in the mold of Paul the Octopus. And they had a couple of buckets of swill with horses' names on them. And they'd release the pig. And the pig would wander up and pick a bucket. And that would be the Psychic Pig selection. And they had this clearly ridiculous feature. And they come back to the studio. And the lads are trying to pretend that this is great. And Ted is sitting there. And they can tell he's absolutely disgusted by this. And he picks up the microphone and he goes, who came up with that? What what kind of a farce was that? That was an absolute joke. And put the camera, put the, put the microphone back down. And that's that just it. It's brilliant. like the thing is, is if uh, <laughs> if if we were on coverage, Kev, me, you, and whoever else doing, I don't know, some racing league thing, and we picked up the microphone and said, "What sort of bullshit idea was that?" If the feature came on, like, uh, let's be honest, our bosses would be saying, "No more, Kevin Vanessa, off you go out the back door." But I think when you come through an era like that. You come from an era like that and you transition into the modern media world. There is a very fine line of cancel culture. But if you tread it carefully, which Ted Walsh is clever enough to do, you can get away with it and continue to be the sort of person you were pre the big changes in the modern world, which is what he's managed to do. Credit to him. Go and enjoy your retirement, Ted Walsh. In sport, what's just as important as the goals, the glory, the roar of the crowd? Yes, it's the halftime break. Time for a breather, a reset to keep everything on track. In sports betting, Betfair's safer gambling tools help you do that too. Like timeouts, so you take that all-important halftime break. Or deposit limits to help you keep count. Manage your play at safergambling.betfair.com. Simple ways to stay on top of your game with Betfair. 18 plus begambleaware.org. Um, Shall we move on? Because we have got plenty of news topics to talk about. Um, The first of which is the government white paper. And what a shame. No TC on the show uh, this week. Just having a little bit of time off. But as a result, Brendan Duke can talk us through what came out in the long awaited government white paper. Um, Obviously, the financial checks for higher and lower stakes punters was one of the big takeaways. Seems that they're going to try and make it sort of these non-intrusive checks. But I don't know how that can work. And this kind of one size fits all approach um, seems a bit ludicrous with the numbers. Those are some of the takeaways. Basically, uh, you can lose two if you lose two thousand pounds within the ninety days, um, then you're going to be marked up as someone who would need an affordability check, essentially. And look, we all know plenty of healthy punters out there who enjoy the sport and enjoy gambling. But you could go through a bad spell and lose two thousand pounds in ninety days. So those sort of as I say, one size fits all numbers seem mad to me. But Brendan, you'll know a lot more about this. What were your big takeaways from the white paper? Well, it was, I mean, it was all pretty depressing. Um, <laughs> I, I, I despair of the of the modern world, uh, Vanessa. So, so you know that I'm getting to be a curmudgeonly contrarian as well. Now, you should, I, I, speaking of Aryans, I am a, a libertarian myself. So I believe all taxation is theft and all government should be done away with. Now I'm conscious that if my policies were enacted, I could unleash a hellscape. So what I like is the balance of left and right to try and find where, where, the, where the right answer is. But basically, the, the, the whole tone of this is just gambling is bad. Why, why would you want to gamble? How, how could you possibly get some utility from this? No perspective. Um, well, you don't actually have to eat something. To, to, to get utility from it. If, if you very briefly, I know uh, we're, we're busy, but if you very briefly indulge me, so as you know, I was over in Sheffield for, for, for the weekend with my brother-in-law and uh, he, he wanted to go and play poker. So we, so we went to um, the casino uh, for two nights to play one and two uh, big blinds. Uh, one and two is what they call it, uh, poker. And uh, and he said, well, what, what should we do here? And, like I'd watch the odd internet video, YouTube video, should I say, on poker. And it seems like a hundred big blinds is what you need. So, so I said, it'll cost us a juice for, for, for the night, worst case scenario. And he said, yeah, Grant, because we could afford to lose it. We were looking to have an enjoyable experience, which we did, very friendly table, 
all punters. I mean, this is this again is the utility. You meet people, uh, birds of a feather, uh, who you wouldn't necessarily have met. And I love the, the in general their attitude to life. So 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 we so we played away and uh, lost. Well, we didn't lose it all, but we lost uh, some of the money anyway. Then just got tired and went home. Now I lost money there, but I'd already decided beforehand that I was happy to lose that money because I could afford to, and I was buying this experience. And that's absolutely fine. And that is what the vast, vast majority of people do. But there just there just seems to be this tone with because what politicians want to do is they basically want to control your life. They want to be as intrusive as possible and say, I know what's best for you. This can't be what, what's best for you. Don't gamble and pay more tax. That's their answer to everything. Just pay more tax. Uh, so so they're do, they're doing they're doing this now uh, to, to the gambling companies. And apparently there's going to be a hundred million pot. For um, programs and uh, charities uh, designed to study and help problem gamblers. I mean, there's going to be some grifters uh, getting seriously paid out of this. Uh, and and whether the money will actually end up going where, where it's supposed to go, because the other thing is that politicians can get very creative when they, when they get a bit more revenue and move money all, uh, around all, all over. They're, they're, they're very duplicitous people, dreadful. Um, so uh, your man was on, Stuart Andrew. Now, you mentioned earlier that we know people who could e- easily lose uh, two, two bags in a, in, in a month. I, I, I take the point that I move in a certain circle where th- that wouldn't be an unusual thing. And that's not t- to the wider world. But he was talking about, he said, oh, this won't affect eight, of, eight, eight out of 10 punters because it, it, it's only if you lose 500 quid a year. But I, I and again, maybe this is because I don't have a perspective on how other people gamble. But that's basically you—you—you—you—you you, 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 you have a hundred quid, quid a week. Uh, you lose say eight percent. Now you're not going to lose the eight percent every week. This is the other thing about the utility of it. Every so often you're going to back a nice winner and you'd be able to tell that they take the missus out. Oh, we'll feast on the finest wines and games. Money's no object, you know. And uh, re- really enjoy yourself and explain about the winner you back. So you, you you will go through phases where you, you have a big win and then you, you give some of it back. But you're only losing your your eight percent a year. Everyone's happy. The bookies are happy. They're getting a few quid. Your man's getting his utility and it's cost him a little over 500 quid a year because he's, uh, his turnover is 100 quid a week. Now, I would be very surprised. I've no, I've no data to back this up. I didn't see a man producing any data. Stuart Andrew is his name. But I would be very surprised if that uh, is the case for 80% of punters. Yeah, I mean, like you've really highlighted in enough detail there, some of the numbers seemed bizarre to me, but obviously this is a long-awaited white paper. And, and I, I don't know what, Kev, have you had a chance to look at it? What were your sort of reactions to the bare figures and what's been put forward? Because it is just at that very early stage right now. Yeah, look, it's it's a blueprint or a menu, you know, yeah. not everything's locked in at the minute. But look, it, it's not a surprise what we saw because it's been so, I suppose, heavily covered in the last few months. Um, and uh, look, I'd be with Brendan, you know, this, this demonization of betting like is thoroughly depressing, really. You know, we all understand that um, problem gambling is very much a thing and it needs to be addressed much better than it has been in the last kind of 15 years or so. We all get that, but... It's balancing that against freedom of choice um, is the thing. And, you know, those numbers that are being trotted out, like, are really concerning. Look, because when you talk, when you know, the people giving you the numbers talk about everyone that has a bet, right, across the whole population. Like, it's going to be a very, very high percentage of people that might only have five bets a year, less, you know, Grand National, a couple of other things. And that's clearly not going to impact them. But anyone that has betting as part of, the, as their their hobby, or there's something they're enthusiastic about, or, or maybe a bit more serious about. You know, this could be very impactful on, on a huge range of those people that don't have anything approaching um, an issue or a problem. And this is going to be a, a real headache, and it's going to drive people away from betting. Um, and that's uh, that's a pity for them as individuals, but it's also bad for for the bigger picture of you know horse racing for example which is in britain you know financed directly from betting and this will have the biggest impact on the most serious punters because it's going to be a massive headache if you're looking to bet strong sums regularly you know you're, you're going to run into problems here based on what we've seen uh, and that that's really frustrating 
Yeah, and I mean, the for biggest, me, the, the, like, like the biggest frustration of Vanessa is probably the failure to split, um, you know, games of games of chance with um, yeah, yeah. With, with games of skill. You know, that's that, that's a massively important um, differential, and the failure to to really hone in on that for me is probably the biggest frustration of the whole the whole process. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and when you step back from um, just the sort of gambling white paper and the details and that and just look at kind of how racing is perceived as a sport in the general public, it just feels like we are, you know, along with obviously all the wealth, the recent welfare um, issues, the protesters at the Grand National, et cetera, et cetera. And then this as well. It just feels like we are every year becoming a kind of dirtier, naughtier sport, if that makes sense. I yeah. know it's a real basic way of putting it, but it just feels like we're constantly being tarnished as like the bad boys, the like naughty kids in the sporting world or the entertainment world. No, it's a very good, it's a very good point because like there's no question that the wider society is moving you know more and more in in the direction of you know animal you know animal rights if you want to put it that way and the demonization of 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 gambling and those are two, those are two things that are good but that's heartbreaking you know yeah. to a great to a great extent so look it represents challenges look there is an element of the 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 betting the gambling sector, if you will, you know, reaping what it is so and it probably wasn't responsible enough um when they were when you know self-regulation prevailed there in the I suppose the first half of our, the of the noughties that we've had. And you know they're getting it now they're getting it in the neck for for that. Um but look it's the, the you know all hope is not lost. <laughs> it seems to be moving in the wrong direction. But um look we'll we'll see how it pans out. As we said, this is the this is the menu, this is the this is the you know, the list of what might happen. So we'll, we'll see how it pans out in the coming weeks and months. Hmm. Uh, it's annoying. It's annoying. Sorry, Vanessa. Just one. It's annoyingly easy for them, isn't it? Populist politicians to just go after gambling because for people who don't know gamblers um, or, or, or don't understand it, anytime you watch a soap, you'll never see someone who gambles in a soap who just loses 20 quid a week or what have you. It'll always be someone who loses their, their home and their family. Yeah. It's a completely yeah. or, 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 or a fundamentally dodgy character. You know, that, that, yeah. that, stereo, that stereotype is just there, isn't it? Yeah. It's there, and you, you would hope that politicians would, would be there. Well, we, we, we look past the stereotype, but they don't care. They just want to get re-elected and get more tax dirt bags. Dirt bags. Um, should we talk about Paul Kimmage? Haven't given him a little run out on this show for a little while. I'm sure he still listens avidly every single Monday. Hi, Paul. Um, <laughs> Kev, uh, which one of you wants to take the latest Paul Kimmage article in the Irish Independent yesterday? Who wanted to talk about that? Go yeah, on, I'll, give you, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a quick <laughs> Silence. I mean, Silence. I mean, Silence. I know. I mean, it's it's just it's just the usual smoke and mirrors. We've talked about this before. So he somehow ties Baron Lilly into Ella Marie Holding uh, because the, the guy who wrote the Black Horse of Coolmore. Have you ever read that book? Oh, it's absolutely. Never, it's, never it, read uh, it. Oh, I, I don't. I don't know why. Why I went to. It's just a litany. It's a badly written litany of a disgruntled employee. It's absolutely appalling. Actually, the worst thing Kilmore ever did was to get to get the work banned because it wouldn't have got any publicity. It's basically unreadable. So now the, 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 that's the, bar, the Barbara Streisand effect that that is termed. Ah, are, are, you, are you familiar familiar with that one? No. Yeah, look, look that one up. You'll enjoy that. Yeah, yeah. Basically, um, some aerial survey company took a, a, a picture of Barbara Streisand's house. Um, and put it up on their website. And Barbara Streisand was really upset about this and took legal proceedings to get it taken down. And I, I, I'm making up figures, but it'll have the same effect. And the image on the website before she took proceedings had been viewed by like 10 people. But by the time the proceedings had played out in the media, et cetera, like everyone in the world had basically seen this photo. So um, ah. that's, the bar that's the Barbara Streisand effect. Like it, like it. That's a new one. We've learned that name for the show. Uh, continue. Uh, just, continue just, sorry, just very, very, very briefly. Uh, the, the the Paul Kimmage effect, not very effective at all. Although he's definitely got, he's definitely he's got something big, Vanessa. It's coming. It's coming oh, down the road. Any, any day now, he's got something. He's definitely got something on the scene. What's but taken I, longer? What's taken longer to come to the fore? The gambling white paper or Paul <laughs> Kimmage's big reveal? Uh, he's he's absolutely scratching around. So Baron Lily won a race. Then he sees that Ella Marie, Marie, Marie Holding, Fernandely was one of the horses who tested positive 
for this yeah, drug that is used to de develop muscles. But he, he never he never thinks about anything in, in, in terms of the market. Like she uh, she sold uh, John Bond and Sir Gerhard and, and other horses and they're going yeah. for big money. Does he not think that the trainers uh, who are advising these owners and they want to keep these big owners in the yard by giving them good advice will go, well, we've heard on the grapevine that Ellen Marie Holding these horses are really good in their point to point, but then they seem to take a long time to acclimatize to different surroundings. I'm just saying it's possible, but they don't because they, <laughs> they clearly know they clearly know there's nothing in it that the horses thrive when they leave Ellen Marie Holder. She prepares them, they buy them, and, and, and then they thrive. And there's no there's no issue with that. But he, he doesn't think of that. He just goes, Oh, fair nearly won a bunch of them. Fair nearly tested positive for uh, Ellen Marie Holder. Someone sent it to me on the WhatsApp group. And this is this this is an article. I mean, it's just a complete waste of time. I suppose it gives me something to talk about. But well, we we we've actually got a jam packed show, so we could just move on, Kev, couldn't we? Um, yeah. I mean, do you have anything else to add to that? No, look when no. you when you're we'll when your go when you're when your go to sources are uh, you know flip of a coin between Stephen Mahan and, and Willem Jones, you're yeah. you're you're probably struggling a little bit. I dare say. Okay, good good note for all journalists going forward. Um, Kev, jump race pattern changes here in the UK have been announced by the BHA. Um, good few changes to the pattern for the following season, including the Tolworth hurdle, which will now head to Aintree on Boxing Day, won't be the Tolworth hurdle anymore. And the Desert Orchid is becoming a limited handicap chase, having been a graded race, um, cutbacks elsewhere. There was, you know, nothing, I there's nothing too drastic but did you view the changes as positive this is obviously a drum you have been banging for a little while yeah yeah i've nearly burst a hole in the drum i've been banging this one so much for <laughs> so many years um, and look as we sort of anticipated from what we'd from what we'd heard from um from, from this group that was put together um after after i suppose the the, the, the really dominant Cheltenham from the Irish. Um, look, I, they, they, they were making the right noises, and it was just a question of how hard they were going to go. And look, I, I think what they've done is is all in in the right direction. It's all in the right spirit of it. They've they've gotten rid of a bunch of grade twos. You know, we were clearly every weekend we seem to be slagging grade these these grade twos that lack depth and strength. Um, and it's good to see a bunch of them have been kiboshed. Some of them have been moved. Um, I, I feel I, I feel this is a dipping of the toe. You know, I think uh, especially with regard to um, what the desert orchid that's been switched from a grade two to a, to a limited handicap, you know, really and truly, that's the sort of thing that needs to be done on, on a much wider scale. Um, I wonder, are they using this as a, as a test case? I've seen that ventured. Like, I really don't need, a, I really don't think you need a test case. We've got plenty of examples of this over yes. the years, inclu including in Ireland, like this works. You know, if you convert a grade two into a handicap, you will get a bigger field size. You will get a more competitive race. So I, I would have liked to have seen more of that. Um, and the one, well, not the one, but the, the most disappointing thing is that they didn't grasp the nettle of the Cheltenham Festival. Um, they could have really signaled their intent with, with, a, with a relatively simple change or two to Cheltenham that wouldn't have been drastic in the overall scheme of things. Like I would have just converted the um what's it called now the Turner's novices chase into into yeah. a novices handicap. Um then either the Ballymore or the Albert Bartlett, whichever one, convert that into a novices handicap hurdle. You reduce another grade one option for novices, which is there's clearly too many of at Cheltenham, and it just as well as creating um a really competitive race that that'll get a full field every year. Um that's what I would have done. I think that would have that would have sent out a real signal that right, we're serious about this. We're we're we're, we're gonna make fundamental change. Um but look what, what they've done, there's not a whole lot wrong with what they've done. I would have liked more of it. Hopefully, this is just the beginning. Um and look, on we go. Let's see how it plays out. Um it, it'll definitely help. But um I I suspect and fear that, that more help is needed, but great that we're seemingly moving in the right direction. Okay, I feel like a kid in class who's got like an okay report because I should put my hands up and say that I am on the jump trace pattern committee that obviously were involved with these changes. So I'd have been upset if Kevin Blake had started to throw stones, but I feel like <laughs> that was an okay report for us. Um, the digital anyway. was there a lot of, just then without, without asking you to talk outside of school, but um, in during this process, did, did, did you feel a lot of resistance to the change that has ultimately come about? Did you feel resistance to the notion that there needed to be a slashing of greater races, et cetera? 
No, no, not at all. No, no, no. They, they, everyone seems on board with that. Everyone seems to be working in the right direction. Well, I feel that it is. Um, the Jumps Raise Pattern Committee is, it's, there's plenty of us on there and there's people from various different sectors of the sport. Um, obviously, Paul Nichols is, you know, he, he's on it and he, um, you know, he has as he's a trainer so obviously he has his own views on what he wants but at the same time he's a big advocate for improving the sport of jump racing and pushing in the right direction and that would be sort of filtered through the whole of the jumps race pattern committee i felt like we were all there wasn't really a point that i thought that we were all meeting a major stumbling block that we're not all going to agree on put it that way obviously everyone's got different thoughts and puts in different bits of input throughout but generally, as a whole, I felt like we were all pushing in the right and same direction. Good, good, good. Onwards we go. Onwards we go. Uh, you want to talk to us about something that came out over the weekend in Ireland. The FAI have submitted a report to the government in Ireland questioning the injection of public money into horse racing or something, Kev. I can't tell you that this is something that I have been across. So take it away and dissect this in layman's terms for anyone who has missed this, please. Yeah, this was, this, this, was, this was utterly bizarre now. This is the FAI, which is the organisation that oversees soccer in Ireland, football, if you will, if you're on the other side of the water. And they have commissioned um, KHSK Economic Consultants to put together a report, right? And the premise of the report was that it's wrong that Irish horse racing gets the benefit of all the betting tax duty in terms of the funding they get and that uh, the FAI should get their fair share of this uh, betting tax um, pot, given that football betting would be um, you know, a big part of overall betting in Ireland. There's one serious problem with, with this, Vanessa, with this report. And that is that it, not for 14 years has the betting tax pot been ring-fenced for the Horse and Greyhound Fund. It hasn't been ring-fenced. You know, they are not related. They are separate things. This entire report has been built on a, on a foundation of, um, um, I almost used the rude word, but um, basically it's, it's, it's unfounded, it's ill-advised, it's misinformed. Um, remarkable, to be honest, that it got this far. I hope the FAI kept the receipt. Um, you know, the um, Charlie um, Charlie McGonagall, the Minister for Agriculture, the Department of Sport, have both put out statements in recent days to say basically, "Hey, lads, your entire premise is incorrect here." Um, so wow. there's there's that. Like it's it's remarkable, but it, it's just really really to me disappointing, and and it must be unprecedented for um, a sporting body in Ireland to go to the time and expense and trouble of commissioning a report to essentially throw stones at the funding of another sport, or in this case, a sporting industry in horse racing. Like it's remarkable. It's really disappointing. Like I wouldn't ever, I have no issues with, with um, the FAI or with soccer or with Irish soccer um, and look like every other sport and they could do with more funding, but Jesus lads, make a business case and, and go and fight it on your, on your own merits, just as horse racing does. Um, rather than trying to climb over the back of someone else. Um, I, I just thought it was remarkable. It, it was bizarre. Um, and, and yeah, really, wow. re really odd, really odd. Okay, well, that, that is a strange one. I mean, remarkable that something so big that costs has clearly cost a lot of money could, could be got so wrong by someone, but sounds like they really have got that one wrong. Um, Brendan Duke, last point before we move on to questions. Did you see the very sad story about the breeze up horse that passed away? Yeah, yes. I, 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 I didn't look into the details. I saw a picture of him actually in, in the ring. He looked like some specimen as much as yeah. he was. But he clearly was that he cost that money and, and, and he did a great breeze. Yeah, absolutely desperate business. He, 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 he seems to have panicked on the boat or something I'm, i was just re reading between the lines but uh yeah an awful uh kicking the um kicking the stones uh for, for connections um and yeah, I, I don't think uh, i don't think people generally do insure horses do they Kevin Kev might know more about this but it, it's so expensive to do it that just it, for it, anyone who yeah for anyone who missed this story basically the sale topper from the goffs breeze up sale last week cost five hundred thousand. Uh, it was a sale it was a record-breaking price for that sale uh looked an absolute monster obviously breezed incredibly it was on his way to his new home 
And yeah, I think he's he's panicked in transport in transit, sorry, and um, has had a life ending injury as a result of said panic. Um, I mean, it's incredibly unfortunate, but of course, your thoughts immediately go to how how does that work, Kev? In terms of, I mean, it's fall of hammer, isn't it? So the horse belongs to the new owners as soon as it walks out the ring. Yeah, th- yeah, that's the case. And look, if you were, you know, there's all sorts of things. The horse may have been insured. Um, you know, you can, if you're planning on going to a sale, spending a good few quid, you can consult with your insurance company and uh, with your bloodstock insurance company and basically set up an arrangement where um, the insurance applies from when the hammer um, hit, hits the rostrum. Uh, you know, you can you can do that. That is an option. Um, look, different people would have different attitudes to insurance um, because it is, it is expensive. And some people will, will, are happy to roll the dice and hope for the best. Like this, this was just a freak accident. You know, top transport company doing nothing differently to what they ever do. And the horse didn't even badly panic, but just whatever way he hit his head um it, it proved to be fatal you know an okay. absolute shocker and just a, another reminder of, of just how fragile these animals are and how quickly things can go wrong despite um the levels of care the level of caution and the the, the huge amount of effort that goes into uh, reducing avoidable risk you know sometimes yeah. a horse can have a bit of a figari and 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 can get a horrendous conclusion from from a relatively innocuous um incident so yeah just just sad for the horse sad for the connections and previous connections as well who would have been you know looking forward and excited to the horse um, going onto the track and and reproducing what he did in his breeze um, on the track, you know. Yeah, I mean, imagine like the high of your horse making that as it goes through the ring, and then the low of hearing that news. Your heart goes out to everyone involved. Um, right, guys, question times, and I don't think we've got anything else to cover. Nothing else seems to be on the agenda for this week. Um, so let's rattle through a few questions we've got. We will start with Mikey Young, who sent in two. Uh, he asked, is Punchestown stage too late in the season? Every trainer, bar Willie, seems to have fired all their bullets by this stage. No other trainer had more than two winners. Seems popular with race goers, but surely at risk of becoming a Mullins benefit. Well, this isn't new news, is it? This isn't the timing of Punchestown is not new, nor the Mullins benefit effect. So, and we have discussed that. So we'll probably just move on to his next question, which is um, surely a Betfair sponsored podcast would realize the real danger in changing racing funding from a revenue to a turnover model as has been proposed by the white paper. Um, Brendan, we didn't touch upon this, but can you answer his question? Well, you won't be surprised, Vanessa, to hear that um, I think that certainly whatever about tax in general, turnover taxes are, are, are a desperate business. You, be, you should be taxed on profits. But I will take into account that there's a, that, that you could play a little game here with, with horse racing where, as we were talking about, the punters who lose their 8% a year and are quite happy to do it. They don't bet on one sport. They might have a, a, a Yankee on a Saturday, a, a football accumulator. So you can kind of, so keep your prices artificially low so that you lose not, not lose money but don't make as much money as you, you possibly could on horse racing knowing that you'll get it back on the other sports because the lads probably don't practice the withdrawal method so, so they're going to spin it up on something else so the, 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 there's got to be a way i'm not sure exactly what it is i'm not i'm not i'm not great with money but where y- 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 you have some sort of a thing where if profits exceed a certain amount then you, you, you factor that in and if turnover goes up by a certain amount i, I mean I'm, I'm very wishy-washy about this because I'm, I'm conscious of the fact that people are coming up um, with business plans on the back of these forecasts and the forecasts don't have to come through so it's kind of a long-winded way of telling you i'm not sure what the solution is but i don't think it's one or the other there, 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 there's probably a middle ground somewhere that unfortunately better minds than I would have to find. <laughs> yeah, look, look I, I'd be a, I'd be a big believer in I'm a big believer in the turnover model being uh, a better one for racing. Um, it's the one we've had in Ireland um, for for many many decades now. At this stage, you know, just they they do apply it differently to betting exchanges. 
you know, they have a different mechanism within the, it's a turnover model for traditional bookmakers. Um, but there is a different mechanism by which they tax exchanges. So it's not, it's not what that correspondent is, is fearing in that sense. Um, just for me, um, you know, the gross profits tax in the UK, I've, I've never been comfortable with it as a concept because you, you have a situation in, in, in that scenario, right? Where any power is coming down to the last and the mayor's hurdle. And British racing is almost hoping that she falls. You know what I mean? Because they, it is in the in- direct interest of the finances of British racing for um, punters to lose and for the bookmakers to make as much profit as possible. And, and that is an that is an unhealthy relationship yeah. for me. You know, if it's a, when it's a turnover based model, everyone is pushing in the same direction: more turnover, bigger pie, make betting more attractive, make get people entice people to bet more because you have a superior product. Grow the pie, and everyone makes more. You know that's for me is a far, far healthier model than than the gross profits one. And um, and I know the bookmaking industry wouldn't necessarily agree with that. It might end up costing them more in terms of tax. But um, for me, and if that happened, I suppose to play the other side of it, if they did introduce a turnover tax, um, perhaps the customers on the ground would see some of the concessions that they've been absolutely rolling in for a, a long number of years now will start to disappear. Personally, I think that would be a price worth paying. Um, not everyone would agree. But yeah, in a nutshell, I, I think it, I had long thought that, that a turnover-based model is far healthier for the game than, uh, than gross profits. Okay. I'm sorry, just very briefly on that. Very, 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 but why do you think it makes a better punting product? Because that is a fact. The turnover tax, the bookies will have to get it back some, somewhere, Kevin. So they're going to have to squeeze the margins or, or squeeze the, the offers. Why do you think it makes a better punting product? Um, well, look, I, I, think, I think for me, the concessions have gone, have jumped the shark years ago. You know, they, they give away way too much as it is. You know, I, I think if, if they did have to rain back some of those, I, I certainly wouldn't cry. Um, and look, I think you have to ultimately think that the, the whole point of doing this would be to um, to increase the, 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 I suppose, the efficiency of the underlying funding model. You know, that's something we have to think about broader, just even where, whether you're into betting or not. Um, you know, we need the, the funding model to be um, the best it can be. And, and the healthiest they can be. And I just think if it was a turnover model, we, we'd have everyone pushing in the right direction. You know, with a gross profits model, there's already a bit of cynicism there. The racing is used as a loss leader, you know, an acquisition tool that they give away. So they give away so much in terms of concessions to get new accounts. Um, and I I just, I, I don't like that. I'm not comfortable with that. I, I think a turnover-based model is, is much more uh, of a straight bat for everyone to play with, in my view. Uh, we need to move on. Doncaster Bert has asked, sort of in a similar area, he's asked, uh, had bets restricted with Labbrooks? Asked them why and was told it's a business decision and we have no obligation to explain it to you. Surely some transparency is in order. Do people who have restricted accounts need an answer as to why, Kev? Um, well, look, you got your answer. It's a business decision. You're clearly an unprofitable customer for them. You know, this isn't something new. We've all been there many, many times, I'm sure. It's deeply frustrating. One can question the fairness of it readily. Um, you know, Lord knows I wrote enough about it over the years, but um, unfortunately, we, we are where we are. You know, restrictions did get a mention in the white paper, funny enough, but it, it doesn't seem like they're going to um, do a, enforce any sort of action a la in Australia with, with um, minimum guaranteed bet limits, etc., which is something that I was campaigning for strongly many, many years ago. But um, yeah, did never seem to be a great runner uh, with the exception of some bookmakers, um, you know, doing it off their own back. But you, you, for, for the things like this to work properly, it needs to be across the board and, and enforced. Okay. Um, and we had a couple of other questions. Oh, yeah. Stuart Gardner has asked, why does the flat championship start Saturday, but they race on Friday, so it technically starts halfway through a festival? Or is it another bookie miss is or is another bookie misinformed on the start date, Brandon? What's all that about? I don't know. Um I I, I couldn't work it out at all. I don't know what what, what bookie is, is settling on the, the, the dates that he came up came up with. I couldn't I couldn't work that question out. Sorry. Okay. Uh, Kev, do you have any answer to Stuart's question? No. No. Okay. We don't know which bookie has made that 
decision basically we will we will wait for updates on that uh and then the final question is from david brown brown now uh is his twitter handle it may sound a stupid question is it a coincidence that all gordon elliott jockeys get injured regularly all his jockeys are out at the moment is it anything to do with the way he trains them to jump because this isn't a one-off literally all the time compare him to cobden brandon um, yeah, well, well, well. Captain is a is a remarkable man to to, to get horses <laughs> to, to to jump. But I mean, uh, Jack Kennedy's a very talented jockey as well. He hasn't had a lot of luck. There's no doubt about that. But I, I hope he isn't querying the sample again. I, I I tried to find information on this, and um, I I couldn't work it out, or I couldn't find uh, the data in in terms of Gordon Elliot uh, fallers, or in, in, indeed I tried to rack my brain to i know davy russell had one particularly horrendous fall but generally going back over the years i don't remember him being injured that much so i think uh jack's just had a very unfortunate run i mean it's a tough business being a being a national hunter and i'd be very surprised i mean if if, if someone could come up with numbers uh well and good but i'd be very surprised given that gordon elliott is such a good trainer if he is the property Okay, we need we need numbers. We need facts and figures. That's what we work on on this show, sort of, sometimes. Uh, before we wrap up, Supreme Racing Club, Kev, it's coming under the microscope, um, being investigated by the Ford squad. Obviously, we know their story from years gone by in terms of um, how that syndicate was not being run properly. And now they're being investigated, essentially. Yeah, look, Maeve Sheehan covered this in the Irish Independent. Um, look, this has gone quiet for a while. You know, this hit the fan back in 2019, I'm pretty sure it was. You'll remember when Kenboy was really booming. Um, and look, this, this would seem a shocking case. You know, there's, there's a figure of um, half a million having gone missing, essentially, you know, over, over the course of a number of years. That's a lot of money. Um, oh, and, money. you know, and some people have got absolutely taken for a spin here, clearly. And look, hopefully um, those involved and those that are guilty are punished to the full extent of the law now, um, because, look, this is an area that, that's very important for racing syndicates, racing clubs, etc. And they, they need to be run correctly. Um, you know, there's there's a there's a case to be made there that, that they should be regulated as they are um, down in Australia. I know um, because there are clearly going to be some fly by nights and they get involved. And this this would appear to be the king of the fly by nights. Um, so look, hopefully it, it works out in that those that, that have done wrong and if they have done wrong are punished heavily and there might hopefully there'll be some compensation for those that um, that, that got caught. And yeah, look, it, as we often mention on this podcast, you know, the wheels of justice can turn very frustratingly slowly in Ireland. Um, but this case does seem to be moving and hopefully it uh, gets to a conclusion in the not too distant future. Yeah, like you say, hopefully they're punished. It was Andy McGarry who sent us in, sent us in a question in regards to the Supreme Racing Club. But imagine, imagine deciding that you wanted to go to racehorse ownership and signing up to what you thought was a reputable syndication team, and then this happening to you. I mean, Brendan, even your love of racing would be squashed by being scarred with that sort of situation. Wouldn't you? Just been absolutely rinsed. Yeah, well, and this is it. And it's very hard to quantify how many of those owners might have taken a bigger step and maybe had a horse with a smaller syndicate or a horse on their own or what have you. So it, 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 the, the repercussions are are worrying. It doesn't it doesn't seem to be particularly well relegated. I mean, if 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 it's fraud, it's fraud. Um, but I, I think maybe maybe racing. I, 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 I'm thinking about uh, as much, you know, these really micro syndicates where you're maybe only putting in uh, 50 quid a, a year or something, but thousands of people own the horse. And actually the horse is massively overvalued. It's kind of half thinking to myself, is that a victimless crime? Because you know the way you have to buy something for someone for Christmas and fathers or uncles can be hard to buy. If you just go, I'll just get them a share of the horse. It's 50 quid. I, you know, and the lads who run that syndicate are getting a few quid. Is it doing any harm? But again, maybe those owners would ultimately think, oh, well, I'll go and maybe take a bigger share share in a horse and, and it might sour them if, if, if they heard the figures. I don't know. It's a very difficult one to know what to do. It is indeed. But hopefully um, we will get an outcome from the investigation. 
in due course. Uh, that about wraps up the show, lads. I think we have rattled through all of our questions from this week. A depleted team, minus TC, but he'll be back, no doubt, very soon. Um, and for now, it's goodbye because I am off to Bath. Kev, you're off to the Curra. And Brendan, you need to try and get home. Yes, yes. I, I must apologise to, to, to the crew and, and listeners. My energy levels, a, lot, a lot's happened over this weekend and I, I didn't sleep in my own bed last night and my energy <laughs> levels are fl- flagging quite quite quickly. You're, you're what my friends would call Harry Fried, Brendan. Harry Fried. Like it, <laughs> like it. Absolutely fried. Harry Fried. Right. Join us again on Thursday with Racing Only Better. I will be recording from America and the Derby. Uh, but for now, it is goodbye. Hopefully you enjoyed the show. Thank you very much, as always, for watching and listening. That was Bet Bears Wade In Podcast. <laughs>